This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. Never before so much paralyzing terror as in this hair-raising orgy of sadism. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! This is Rachel. This is Austin. This is Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor. And we're the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 57. The Boo Crew returns to Midsummer Scream, happening August 3rd and 4th at the Long Beach Convention Center. It's the ultimate Halloween and horror convention. There will be spooky vendors, walkthrough haunts, your favorite genre personalities, and more. Attend some incredible panels and events like the 50th anniversary of Disneyland's Haunted Mansion, a behind-the-scenes look at the making of Tales from the Crypt, celebrating a legacy Spanning 30 years, presentations from Universal Halloween Horror Nights, and Not Scary Farm, just to name a few. We'll be doing a live show Saturday, August 3rd at 6 p.m. talking about rock and horror with our guests, including Curtis from Creature Feature, Michael O'Shanker, and Christopher Jimenez. Tickets for the convention are available at MidsummerScream.org. Use the code word BOOCREW for 20% off. This week we are joined by writer-director Tony West to talk about his debut full-length horror feature, Dead Detectives. Listen as Tony talks about how his love of film Films like The Frighteners and Shaun of the Dead helped inspire the script. Explore the art and whimsy of the horror comedy and the magic behind the incredible special effects created for the movie. Available now exclusively on Shudder. But first, we're going to go backpacking with some friends in Sweden. No big deal. Ah, now that's horror, baby! Hey, this is Tony West, and no, this is not a ghost hunt. It's a completely staged and scripted episode of The Boo Crew. Cue the monsters. The Boo Crew, the freshest cuts of new stuff. Here's Sweet Screams. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate, I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? 
Midsommar, released July 3rd, 2019. Written and directed by Ari Aster, who brought us 2018's Hereditary. Stars Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, William Jackson Harper, Wilhelm Blomgren, and Will Poulter. It's the story of a young couple in a relationship in turmoil who join with their friends on an adventure to a Swedish Midsummer festival that may or may not turn into an incredible Technicolor nightmare. What did everybody think? I loved it. I love his movies, and I really like this one. Anything in particular about it you loved? Just the tone and what it was about. It's creative and a little crazy. <laughs> a little crazy. A little crazy. What, what was it about? Like, what would you say it's about? I would say it's about a cult. That's how I would sum it up to someone. Someone actually asked me the other day. They're like, who doesn't watch horror? Like, what is it about? And I said, it's kind of like a cultish kind of movie with aspects of being shocked in different people's lives and the choices that they make. Definitely the last thing you said, the, the you know, the choices people make. Because I think that was really interesting because all the American characters each had their own unique arcs that all pay off in different ways. They're kind of set up pretty well in the beginning and then they all have their own different... Ari Aster says it's about a breakup. Yeah. Yes, I've heard that. Which I think is silly. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously about so much more. I think that's yeah. just his sort right. of catchy way of talking it down. Well, I think he was going through a breakup, right? He was, yeah. Oh. Well, he had read the stories I heard. It was that he had written this. He had been commissioned to do a story about the midsummer festivities in northern Sweden. It was supposed y- to be years a, ago. a slasher film. Originally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Huh. So he had that. And then he was going through a breakup and he's like, oh, what if I fuse the idea of a breakup into this world? And then we have this. So much cool artwork. Yeah. In this film, every piece of set is decorated with hundreds and thousands of these elaborate drawings. And one of the cool things that I found about this movie is hidden in a lot of these drawings is the entire plot of the movie, yeah. including that tapestry that opens up the movie. Yes. Yeah. Like it comes up and I was just like, "Ooh, I bet this is like really intricate and really important. And then it goes away very quickly. And I was like, oh, I wanted to. I bet that was important. The whole plot, <laughs> the whole plot of the movie. But anyway, there, yeah, there's tons of different, and there's that tapestry that appears featuring the ritual, which I thought was weird that it moves right to left in a culture that reads things left to right. Interesting, yeah. It was like it was flipped to fit the shot, right? The camera yeah. scanning across it. That's Cause right. Because if you're standing in front of it, that's not how someone in the Western world would read that. Interesting. So no. if you're just standing, if there's no camera movement, you're just standing there and you read it left to right. That's a really weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, of course, so we got that opening shot when they head there. And the entire screen flips upside down. So maybe it's just you're entered into this world where everything's flipped. Everything's flipped. (laughs) (laughs) That was cool. Those driving shots are really cool. They were cool. I actually got dizzy, literally dizzy from that. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really, really neat. So this movie was supposed to be Ari's first horror movie and Hereditary was supposed to be a family drama. Wow. I don't see it as a family drama. Oh, I mean, it's definitely well, it's I mean, still is a family it's, drama. Yeah, it it's still is, very but much. it's scary as fuck. Yeah. Family drama is pretty scary. Yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> I guess that's true. That is really fucking true. And a lot of family drama occurs in Midsummer. He's like a master at taking you through that. And he's also a master at, and I think it was Alex Aja, who we recently talked to, who was talking about those films that make that veil of the movie screen disappear and you feel completely immersed in the story. And I feel that Ari really does a good job of doing that. And those like lingering shots of the character that Florence plays Danny when she's just sobbing. She was incredible. Yeah. 
Oh my God. How does he direct these women to this depth of grief that is just so primal? His next movie probably won't be a horror movie, and there's still going to be some woman who's just at this right. primal rage sense of grief that's just so... She is amazing. Yeah. It right. like brings you to chills. Yeah. And it happens like at least twice in the film, and you're just yeah. like, oh my God, like, where does this come from? It right. makes you feel like what she's feeling. It really does. Well, like, yeah, it just it's, you superimpose whatever you're kind of going through or whatever you can relate to that emotion in, and, and it, you put that there, and it again, it makes that veil disappear, and you're inside that movie and also how he also does that trick throughout the film where he kind of puts a filter on the lens or you're seeing what the characters are seeing when they're ingesting the tea or whatever it out you know it is that, that put you in that first person perspective of actually sitting there i really like the colors that's i thought beautiful. it was really beautiful yeah. and the, you know it's outside and just the bright colors and i thought it was really pretty Yeah, making sunshine freaky yeah, that's hard. <laughs> it's freaking hard. Not many horror films shot like entirely in daylight. Yeah. I think the last horror movie I saw shot in daylight was uh, Session 9, I think. Oh, yeah. The one of the, uh, the Denver's uh, mental yeah, hospital. Denver's, yeah. yeah, in the mental hospital. Yeah, that was mostly daylight. It was. That, that's they the shot only... that in a real mental hospital. Yes, yes. So my friend was the production designer, and he, speaking of pride, so they cleaned out. So when they, when they made that movie, they went in and they cleaned everything out so that they could dress it to look messy. Oh, whoa. So, but it was like an abandoned mental hospital and they did, they were, there's two wings, men's wing and a women's wing. So they cleaned out the men's wing. And so they cleaned out all these old records and they found these records of these women who had been put in this mental asylum for, as you read it, you're like, she was just sad. It's horrific. Like actual horror of these women just being locked away. It was like a lot of Irish girls had come over and was working for a family, but it, you know, quote unquote, didn't work out. She's basically homesick, like uh, on the report. It just reads like she's just bummed out and doesn't like being here. And they committed her to a mental hospital. Unbelievable. And, that's, yeah, a bunch of those. and that went all the way to the White House. It wasn't one of the Kennedy daughters kind of disappeared. They, they put her in a mental hospital. And she kind of oh, disappeared. Really? Yeah. Look, look that up. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't recall which Kennedy. If it, I, I mean, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember. Eunice, yeah. That's a crazy Eunice? story. And she was young. She was like 18 or 20 or 21 around there. And then she just, Never saw her again. The whole story was that she was lobotomized right through the eye, you know? Do you think this is going to make people want to go to Sweden or not go to Sweden? Well, <laughs> I think people are going to go to Sweden because they're not going to think this is real. And they're going to be surprised when they get sacrificed. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading uh, an interview, well, not reading, I listened to an interview of Ari talking about the ending of the film, not to give anything away, but he said he wanted the ending to be very cathartic and they had a really hard time finding the exact tone of the musical score for that section because he said he wanted it to play happy but be very cathartic and an ending you'd think about and it's a 10 minute cue throughout that whole ending it's one long 10 minute cue and he just said they labored over that just to find that exact right tone because it could ruin everything if it was just slightly off that's where i noticed again it got really really loud yeah it started, did. Out, yeah. started out kind of yeah. like the whole end section and, yeah. yeah and i was like whoa this movie's freaking me out it was an electronic artist called the Haxon cloak yes that did all the music yeah i was gonna say it's a very fitting name yeah it really is <laughs> ari has a real life fear of bugs and illness so that's why he made the character mark 
have an extreme phobia of ticks and he would wear double socks and I guess Ari on set would wear double socks just out of fear of ticks and things getting to him. Ticks are scary. Yeah, I, I was going like to say ticks. that's a legitimate fear. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm right there with him. Yeah. I'd be in a, some sort of suit just Yeah, a hazmat suit. Yeah. Fuck that. If you're so inclined, you can purchase your very own bear in a cage available on the A24 website now. Like a real bear? <laughs> a little tiny like, oh. you know, Oh, desktop uh, yeah wooden cage and the bear has got a little uh, floral crown uh, <laughs> just a bear yeah. just a bear <laughs> but I read that Ari's not his next movie is not going to be horror which yeah. makes me really sad I'll be interested to see yeah, what, what, you know, what he do you know he does horror so well and yeah, I was like does. what's next I'm sure it will be have some Ari Aster effects to it. <laughs> There'll be some head trauma. Exactly. Well, what were some of the things that scared you guys about Midsummer? Speaking of horror. Well, the stuff that, that I liked particularly of it was like the mimicking of people's reactions, particularly like at the end when we see the ending of the whole group of everyone kind of mimicking that amplifying of like expression. Oh, like Danny's trauma. Yeah, I kind of made me really like that. Let me think that of like a, really resonated. A communal experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So the whole movie is a, a commune. Even the emotions and expressions and whether it's happiness or pain, mm-hmm. they share all that. That to me is a little weird. Yeah. Was that the scariest part for you? <laughs> <laughs> the fact that a community can actually work in harmony with one another? And that's <laughs> exactly what she her character needed right that was the opposite yeah. of everything she was getting right? exactly the whole time i felt uncomfortable and i was like what are they doing why is this just not making sense everything felt like a little bit off yes. but i couldn't put my finger on it yes and it just made me feel like ew and i loved it <laughs> no that's is that exactly, your review yeah that, that's exactly how i felt with hereditary and this movie yeah is there's a weird tone to this movie from the very start where you're like, something's not right. Like there's, there's something, I can't pinpoint it, but there's something not right. And I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if it's like his use of camera angles and what he chooses to show you or not show you. Or especially these, there's these scenes where these elder, you know, they're all eating and there's, there's just silence. You're like, why is everyone quiet? The interesting thing that I find it, what you're talking about is that it's some sort of secret sauce that he's got. In Hereditary, I didn't see what was coming throughout the whole thing. And in this... I go in and the audience seemed to know what was coming. Well, they're going to Sweden. I know it's a horror movie. I know what's going to happen in Sweden. And you kind of know, but you don't know how it's exactly going to get there. You know what the characters don't know. They seem oblivious to what's about to happen. The audience seemed to be in on it this time. And the anticipation is, okay, we know. When's it going to happen? How's it going to get there? And that part was the terror for me, is to watch the process. And ever since It Follows, like, old naked people, (laughs) I just, and they're all so slow, and it just, they scare me. Like, if I pass an elderly home, I just get a little weirded out. (laughs) You guys, what do you find scary? I just want to ask Lauren, though, but young naked people? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we see young naked people. 
people all the time. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, people on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. But I don't see grannies like tatas on Instagram all the time. It's just more. You're looking at the wrong accounts. <laughs> <laughs> you are missing out. <sighs> you don't follow Instagranny? No. <laughs> God, what the fuck? Austin, what did you find scary about it? Or not scary? I wasn't necessarily scared. I felt like, you know, it didn't have that sort of, you know, Hereditary is very famous for the one moment and this didn't have that moment. But I agree with you about the terror aspect. You knew something like this is not going to work out. And you knew that from jump. And I totally agree with you about that. How is like what's going to happen. So I was really intrigued in trying to find the riddles along the way because Ari Aster is such a command of the language of cinema. You know that everything he's doing is fully intentional. So I was just very engaged with that idea of trying to follow along because I know that he's planting all of these things for multiple viewings as Hereditary was so planted for multiple viewings. So I knew that going in. So I had a very high expectation of that. And, you know, he created an entire world. None of that is real. That's all his creation. I mean, based on his research and ideas and picking and choosing from various things, but he just created this entire thing. I thought it was very impressive. I noticed in this movie, much like Hereditary, he has, he kind of put a stamp on it with his signature transition. In this movie, it's a, it's a shot where um, Danny goes into the restroom to cry. She cuts to the airplane restroom. Oh, that was yeah, really that was cool. Clever. It's like, oh, that's wow. And, and, and Hereditary, the son goes to bed and he lies down and then the sun rises. You still see the shot of him in, in the bed, but he never went to sleep. Day went to night, you know? Right, in one shot. In one shot, yeah. yeah. That was really clever. I was like, well, hmm. There was some very picturesque shots that look like Pink Floyd album covers. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> uh, the triangle edifice burning to the ground and just like that. Amazingly framed, beautiful yeah. shots are really impactful and really stay with you. You're in the hands of a, of a capable artist and you feel that from the first frame, both films from the first frame. So I'm very excited to see where he goes next, yeah. regardless of genre, because he's going to bring this intensity to it. So I do think that there'll be horror elements regardless. Okay, it's okay. definitely part of his mm-hmm. toolbox. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, he'll, you know, let him explore a few and then he'll come back. Like he's, he's like a Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, he's just going to keep exploring new things. And every time I think it's going to be worthwhile. Yeah, I think everything he is going to do is going to be amazing. But I just, it's my favorite genre. And yeah. What else can he <laughs> do? Like what else fucked up can he do? I mean, if he does a movie a year, he's yeah. on track for a movie a year. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. So we'll see. Knock on wood. This movie begged the question, does sunblock really work that well? <laughs> <laughs> How did all the actors not get pink or brown or tan? It's a higher latitude. <laughs> so there's no sun? It's not as, as intense. According to who? According to science. <laughs> Scientist. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no UV rays coming at me? Interesting. Have you, been to, have you ever met someone from Sweden? They're not very tan. But what I'm saying is the actors. Okay, they need to make some midsummer sunscreen. <laughs> SPF Sweden. There you go. Welcome and happy midsummer. Skull! Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is a writer-director who studied at the Tisch School of the Arts in the Florida Film School. He's done numerous shorts, including the award-winning Skylight and Dartsville. That one grabbed over 35 prizes, including 14 for Best Short Film. He was also a longtime series writer on the TV show The Soup. His first feature film is a hilarious horror comedy. It had its world premiere at Sitkiss last year.
year, has screened at others like Seattle International Film Fest and Fantaspoa in Brazil, Telluride to rave reviews, calling it a nonstop blast, and was since acquired by AMC's Shutter, where if you're listening to this at time of release, has just made its debut on the streaming platform and is available now. We are honored to welcome the writer and director of Dead Detectives, Tony West. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here today. Hey. Thank you. And literally the most amazing studio I have ever seen. I'm sure you hear that with every guest, but it's true and it's real. This is fantastic. Thank, Thank you. you. It's incredible. Do you remember your earliest impactful memory of the horror genre, whether it was a movie you watched or something that had scared you? It could be a cartoon. Oh, so we're going to deep dive. Tomorrow. Yeah, we're going to go back okay. to the beginning. Okay, because this is literally the most traumatic moment of my life <laughs> as okay. well. Um, I I, wow. I feel like I have, to, I feel like <laughs> I have to confess first. I have a very interesting relationship with the horror genre based on this first experience. Wow. And most of it centers around me being a wimp and taking a <laughs> extremely long amount of time to come around to where I would watch pretty much anything in the genre. And it started, I would say, I'm going to blame it on parental choices, my parents <laughs> and their decisions. So the first film I ever saw, I was entirely too young, maybe three years old. And I don't know if anyone's seen this or heard of it, but it was called Dragon Slayer. Yeah. Is, oh, yeah. Familiar yeah. with this. Early 80s film. Mm -hmm. They take me to a movie theater to watch the movie. I've never been to a movie before. I have no idea what's happening. And if I recall, and I have not watched this film since for the very reason I'm about to say, <laughs> if I recall, they drag me into the theater and the very opening scene is this very sweet, innocent looking young woman being dragged and tied to a stake and left as a sacrifice for a dragon who comes. And I don't remember if he ate her alive or burnt her alive. And that's as far as we got in the movie because I was a screaming, hysterical child. And they had to do that embarrassing walk of shame out of the theater. With all, you know. And back then, you know, people were smoking in movies, making very different movie theaters, making very different choices in movie theaters. But that, they told me that was very non-approved. And they didn't try again. I remember for a few years and the second movie they went to see, they certainly tried better with their selection was E.T. I'm sure they thought I was, I was like, I think two or three years old at the time. I might've been five or six. And I think they thought that was going to be a wise choice. Unfortunately, the beginning of E.T. was pretty intense. Yeah. Um, you know, he gets lost in these woods and I just remember only making it to the part where Elliot hears something outside and notices something in his shed. And once again, my parents had to do the walk of shame carrying <laughs> a screaming child. And I always feel bad because I get Dragon Slayer, but E.T. is this magical, wholesome movie. And I believe this is one of like the opening first few weeks the film came out. And I just ruined that experience <laughs> for so many people who don't have that magical moment. So I, to answer your question, uh, the first two times I ever went to a movie theater, they had to leave 10 minutes into the film or less because of my crying. And so I just looked at this palace as this strange place that elicited these crazy emotions emotions and it was so impactful and I kind of grew up that way with I don't know what it is that suspension of disbelief we have to have when we watch movies I think I got a double dose triple dose of that growing up so it took me a very very long time before I was able to sort of delve into the horror genre but I remember though being scared being fascinated by the way that made me feel and sort of yeah. feeling a connection to that throughout most of my life even with with like my friends later on as I grew older you know I still took a little while because my friends would be watching these sort of Freddy Krueger marathons and they're on the front you know doing that sort of Freddy Freddy chant <laughs> and I'm in the back going I don't know I feel really bad for these kids and <laughs> so it took me a while so the first true and I know this isn't uh, a horror but I think the first true sort of paranormal uh, show that sort of brought me into the genre, you know, holding my hand because that's what I needed 
was Scooby-Doo, um, <laughs> without question, because that's all I was ready for in the 80s, unfortunately. It took me a very long time. So I watched Scooby-Doo a ton of times, and my grandparents used to give me these records, these old vinyls, like Fisher-Price records, and they were Scooby-Doo stories. Because, you know, the cartoon is great, but it's colorful, it's silly, it's more of a musical, but these records were great because they were sort of um, a little bit darker, and they had these fantastic, at least I'm remembering it as such, the fantastic sort of production uh, sound design right. to the show. So I got to just lie in my bed and listen to these little Scooby-Doo haunted house mysteries with like, you know, you can hear the gravel crunching as they're walking, you know, up to the haunted house, the creaking of the door. And that's where the imagination really started exploding for me. Uh, Which of those characters could you identify with the most? With me describing myself as the wimp, it has to be Shag Taggy. <laughs> yeah, it, it, without question. I would love to be a Fred, but I'm not. A Vel, even a Velma, she, you know, smart and woody, but no, I was definitely a Shaggy. Moving forward, what were some of the other ones that you ended up discovering and falling in love with? Well, finally, when I grew out of this, my, my wimpiness, it started out not so much in the hard horror genre of fair. It started out more with films like Close Encounters. Yeah. Mm. You know, and some of those fantastic scenes when the kid wakes up, kind of going through the house and the toys in the house are coming alive. I started to really show an affinity for those sort of quiet surreal, subtle moments that weren't so much about the gore and seeing the monster, but what we couldn't see. And I was really fascinated by that. And that evolved and I started to sort of the Ghostbusters, of course, which obviously I have a huge affinity yeah. for. Yeah. But it really wasn't until I was much older and a film that the first true horror film that I think really captured my spirit and I went, ah, I love this was Peter Jackson's Brain Dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's yes. the first time I watched the movie <laughs> and went, oh, I get this. I see what's happening here because here's a guy, it's manic, it's crazy, it's gory. It's one of the goriest films, if not the goriest film I still have ever seen in my entire life, but in a way that felt accessible. In this way that you still cared about the characters, he found this little magic that I actually cared about in the, in the middle of all this mayhem of these characters in that movie. And I really appreciated that. And that opened the door. So I then had to go sort of retroactively actively back to the evil deads which were fascinating films poltergeist and bringing that through and so what i think probably my biggest influence i don't think it's you know in the pantheon of great films but it's another peter jackson film and it was the mid-90s was the frighteners yeah, yeah. yeah. just They're a so huge good. fan of the frighteners and, it, and that's the movie is right before you know i really started saying okay i'm gonna do film this is what i want to do with my life i want to go to film school and all these things that's when we went i want to do that one day and that was sort of the first film that I went, okay, I connect to this. I love this. Nice. And here you are. You've made your Frighteners. I've read a few reviews and, and that's the nicest thing that anyone's ever said is when they you just slightly bring that word into the review in any way, shape or form. <laughs> that, that means a lot to me. So, yes. <laughs> Take us on the path of turning Dead Detectives into your first feature. It's a hilarious spoof on reality ghost hunting shows yeah. with elements of fun, iconic horror films like The Frighteners and Beetlejuice. And it's so well done. And it just looks huge when you digest this. Give us a quick plot synopsis for those who haven't seen it and are about to. And what inspired that script? Certainly. You know, Detectives is about a team of paranormal investigators who have their own reality show and are complete con artists. They have never encountered anything to do with the paranormal and have to fake everything. And they basically go into these places with these gullible people. They prey on the gullible people and convince them their houses are haunted and leave them far worse for the wear for the betterment of the ratings of their show. But as we uh, meet them in the film, the ratings are suffering. So they're sent 
to the most haunted house in all of Mexico and sort of a last ditch effort to save their show and find out very quickly that they're in over their heads and have no idea how to deal with it. So how long ago did you write this script? Was it sitting around like way back before you were doing short features and everything? Or was it something that finally you just... It was really quick. I, I, if anything, I was writing other features, you know, in the genre. And this one hit me like a bolt of inspiration. It just sort of made me push all those aside. And I, to this moment sitting here, I've just been full force finishing that film. Wow. So yeah, this was about four years ago. And the inspiration, I worked on a show, as you mentioned, I worked on a show called The Soup. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, very much delved into a lot of reality programming and would have a lot of the reality shows and reality show stars into the show. And it was actually one of the paranormal shows on TV, them coming on as guests in the show that very much inspired this idea. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the show Ghost Adventures. Yes. Zach yeah. Bagan and yeah. those guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I've <laughs> never had the, uh, the ability to tell them this or, or honor, but they, they certainly inspired me. <laughs> when, when they came on the set, just watching their camaraderie. I've never really met him. I was there on set and I don't really know the backstory, but I got a sense that they genuinely believed in the supernatural, the paranormal. They genuinely believed in what they do. And then, you know, I also had a hint though that there's a weekly show going on and you need to make things happen. So <laughs> right. just the idea of sort of delving into those characters and that sort of camaraderie was, was that was the initial inspiration for the idea. Do you believe in the supernatural? I absolutely do. I feel like a lot like it might yeah. be a paranormal but I've never had an encounter. Okay, that's what of any kind, but I certainly do. Do you want an encounter? No. <laughs> Some people do. Some people do. Right, right. I couldn't make it through E.T. No way. <laughs> <laughs> was it Lauren was asking me the other day because Zach Baggins opened up the museum, a haunted museum in Vegas, It's right? amazing. I haven't been yet, but have you guys? No, everyone no. tells me. Lauren was like, so she's like, would you go and if there could be a paranormal experience happen there for you, would that be what you want? Or would you just want to go and look at the antique items? I just want to see the antique. I don't. I don't want an experience. Right. You don't want an no. experience. Yeah. Well, I don't know if go I, there because all that stuff. Right? Is, all that stuff is from actual notable cases. Oh, One of yeah. more recent items is like from an upcoming possible uh, Conjuring movie. Oh yeah, the rocking the chair. rocking chair. Yeah. So it's like, but wouldn't really it be cool if like. Shit was flying off no, the wall. No. I'd be like, yes, I'm getting my money's worth. And then I'd run out and scream and cry. But so, be fun. so Leo, you just want to see it like it's a prop yes. auction. Or, these are famous items from famous stories you've heard about. Right. I'm cool with that. I get that. You go to Vegas to get away from everything, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We get to shut down that exhibit you're talking about, Leo, with the rocking chair. Ooh. Yeah. Because Ooh. I think, yeah, there's someone at the who was walking around the floor above that spontaneously crying before she passed out. Other guests say combusted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be impressive. <laughs> flaming body running through the... Well, let's talk about the cast that you've assembled. Oh, it's man. extraordinarily well acted. I want you to talk about some of the people in Finding Chris Gear and everybody like that. Yeah, Chris Gear was the first piece we found to the puzzle. He plays Sam Widner, the lead detective in the movie. I'm a huge fan of his show, You're the Worst. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know if you guys have seen that. Yeah, of and, course. And it had a really... It was, it was very... Funny, almost serendipitous how we cast him. We've had our first meeting with the casting director, Kelly Roy, and uh, myself and the producer, Jason Tomasco and Daniel Posada. We met with her on a rooftop, just having a drink somewhere. And it's super, super loud. And she's so excited. And she's rattling off some names. She goes, here's some names you should consider, but you should really consider this guy. I love him. 
couldn't hear her. And she said the name. And I, and I was like, okay. And I, and I said, okay. and I asked her again. And, and, and I think I asked her like three times to the point it was uncomfortable. And I still didn't hear. And I was like, we're going to meet again in two days. I'm not going to forget that she has someone. It'll be fine. So I go home literally that night and just on the couch on the, you know, what's on the DVR that night and kind of ran through like four or five, you're the worst episodes and went, him. It's a no-brainer. And I remember yeah. calling her as if I had just found the most insightful idea in the history of mankind <laughs> and, and telling her, I've got it. It's uh, Chris Gear, And she just, there was just dead silence. She goes, you're an idiot. <laughs> I knew you didn't hear me. I knew you didn't hear me. <laughs> so needless to say, we were on the same page because he has this remarkable ability to, and it's a rare talent. And I, and I had a chance to work with someone I, I, I think has a similar trait, Joel McHale on The Soup. Where he has this yeah. amazing talent to almost, you know, be, be very egotistical, almost be a jerk and very self-centered and still lovable because the character very much is that, right. is like that in the movie. And for right. and to get away with that is a very specific trait that not many of us have. And he is such a charming individual in real life. And that just ekes through himself, even when he's acting not that way. Yeah, he's so nice because I used to work for Loveline and he used to come in to Loveline with Dr. Drew all the time. And That's awesome. everybody was a huge fan of his. The set pieces that you have, the centerpiece really is that Mexican house Certainly. and it's got this incredible entryway with that beautiful window that you see right at the top of the staircase or are we looking at a set here was that designed to script or was that something you found in you know real location it was a real location we found this great mansion in Mexico the whole movie was shot in Mexico we shot oh. in Mexico City and we shot the exteriors of the house were shot down in a city called Villa Hermosa which is in the state of Tabasco which is right on the Guatemalan border so we shot the exteriors of the film there and we shot all the interiors in Mexico City and wow. we found this just fantastic old mansion that everyone said was haunted and had this dark past but no one knew what it was or how it came about or how the rumors started. And sure enough, we walked in there and I just fell in love with that place. And we did some work in the house to sort of bring it down a little bit. And that uh, that sort of gorgeous stained glass over the stairwell was something we created. But most of the house, as you see it, is what was there. It was just fascinating. And there was this, you know, a, a gentleman who, about 90 years old owned the house. I speak enough Spanish to sound like a two-year-old toddler <laughs> so we didn't have any many great conversations but he you know was just fantastic about letting us come in and actually lived in his own little room in that giant main hallway which is sort of the centerpiece of the film he just stayed in that room the entire time we shot we were there for about three weeks in his house and he just stayed in his room and kind of waddle out in a bathrobe every once in a while <laughs> go back in but then he seemed like the nicest guy but then a couple people who were from the area would look at me and go don't go near him this house. Don't go near him. So I'm still curious what oh, the story sh- is. Oh, wow. I haven't found out yet. So was he a- real? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know. He stayed in his room. You're going to find out later that my name is Norman Bates. There's so many cool and fun camera shots in this film as well. There's 360 yes. shots. There's yeah. fun tricks in that Raimi vein of close ups on the keys, and the keys are starting kind of reminiscent of that like Edgar Wright, Sam yeah, Raimi shit. Yeah. Shots that just are so fun. What was your vision in applying those and then that kind of whimsical delivery of the story? You said it already. Once I got into the Raimi films when I was a kid, I was like, that's it. That's the kind of energy that I love visually when you're telling these kind of stories. And then Edgar Wright just took it to the next level with Shaun of the Dead. And I loved it. And and what I really wanted to do, and I feel like when you shoot that way, you you know, when you're doing a horror comedy, in my, in my opinion at least, 
it's all about the pacing. And what we really wanted to do is create that sort of manic pacing throughout the film, even with some of the camera work in the most manic moments, so that when we did pause, you felt it. So for us, it wasn't we ramp things up when it's time to ramp things up. For us, it was let's slow things down when it's time to <laughs> right. slow things down. So we wanted to set it right there. So, so a lot of it came from that, that idea of wanting to shoot and have a very, and also in some of the um, more heightened supernatural moments, you know, the cut sort of ruins everything, in my opinion. You know, it's, it's great at times, but sometimes when you cut, it gives you that, that I'm not seeing what I'm seeing. And we wanted to try to pull off a couple of things in real time in one shot right. to give us that feel. Seems like halfway through the movie, it gets really nuts, but in such a fun way. Like it just doesn't let up one gag after another, one thing after another, one room after another. And just like, man, this is nuts. Absolutely. <laughs> we wanted that. Mid There's a marker in the middle of the film without spoiling too much right. where we certainly wanted to just shift in a different direction with that film. Everything feels sort of haunting, scary, creepy, for the main characters at least, but safe. Right. And we wanted that definitive moment to be all bets are off. <laughs> right. yeah. Who did the makeup? It was amazing. Antonio Garfias down there, and they're just fantastic. He's worked on so many f amazing Mexican horror films, and when I went down there, they were like, you only need to meet one person. We'll make other interviews for you, but just meet Antonio, and, and they were right. Wow. Yeah, right it was amazing. Yeah. The alchemy of it all and making this work so well is that the ghosts are really tasteful and classic, but the prosthetic effects are really gory and over the top, but they're right where they need to be. They're really fun. You've got an amazing vomiting scene. You've got <laughs> right. that scene with the head of the network that's on the trailer, for instance, Certainly. is super impactful. How important is it to get that mix right, though, for you, especially in this genre, what you're doing with the genre in this film, too? I think the reason I gravitated towards Raimi, Peter Jackson, Edgar Wright, is because the elevation I think they brought to the genre with the films they made as far as the visual style and some of the effects that they're doing. And I think, you know, especially I really appreciate Edgar Wright that even though he was making Shaun of the Dead, and that's really the one that awakened me to the possibilities in the genre, he's making a spoof in a sense of, of the zombie film, but he's elevating the production value beyond anything I'd really seen in a zombie film at the same time. So why not try it? Let's, let's go for it. So I think for us right away, we wanted the comedy to uh, the film to come organically from the characters, these sort of eccentric characters and how they're responding to these life and death predicaments. But we really wanted to with all the effects, whether it be the vomit, the blood, and certainly the ghosts. The ghosts are not in a comedy. They're in their own movie. They're in a horror <laughs> film. Yeah, and we yeah. have our, our main characters reacting to them. And that's where the comedy from. And I think that's where we set the line was the supernatural elements of this film, the horror elements of this film. That's They're in their own horror film. And we're going to bring these characters to sort of experience this world. That's a really cool way of looking at it. Can uh, we talk about the props? Certainly. Okay. I love the little ghost meter and the goggles. Like what happened to all the props? Where did they go? This is the saddest question. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, no. What happens in Mexico stays in Mexico. No. Okay. Oh. I don't know. <gasps> And that they're in a storage room, but no one's sure. It's what we're, we were talking earlier before yeah. the show about where all these props come from and, and what they do with, with, with props after movies. It's in a storage room somewhere in Mexico, but no one knows. And I think they're lying to me. Yeah, <laughs> they are. <laughs> like costumes and everything? Everything. <gasps> everything. I do have one of the EMF readers, which is oh, my that's favorite amazing. prop yes, of the film yes. sitting in my little office at home. That's that doesn't so go cool. anywhere. I have that. <laughs> Can we but, go like on a boo crew adventure and try to find it? <laughs> in, Mexico. Go to Mexico. I would, 
love to. I would love to. Amazing. And then maybe I can get like one thing in my time. You lead the way. (laughs) So so were you forced to uh, use a localized prop department? We did. We we, the entire crew. You know, I had a director of photography come from from LA. Okay. The editor, she came from my house. It was my wife, <laughs> but, the, but but the rest of the crew we hired all in Mexico. Just fantastic crews down wow. there. I worked with the producers who had made several movies in Mexico, and the director of photography, Andres Lascaris, had just shot a movie down in Mexico, and was like, "You were going to be in the best of hands," and it couldn't have been more right. Oh, great! Yeah, who ended up designing, say, Lloyd's goggles, for instance, and that in itself becomes such a cool trick throughout the movie that we get to see through the spirit world through his goggles. Carlos Lagunas was our production designer and he um, thankfully catered to all of my sort of steampunk whims in the movie. You know, I, I had a lot of crude ideas, some crude drawings and he looked at them and goes, okay, I see what you mean and sort of tossed those aside and then came back with these fantastic like first edition prototypes where we only had to make like the most minor of little adjustments to everything. So Carlos Lagunas and his entire team were just fantastic and yeah. The comedy in this thing is just amazing. I mean, I, I laugh my ass off the whole movie you've seen these ghost comedies before you know but you see something new like the whole gag with javier and, and the bed sheet and all that they're like how do we attract this guy you know it's like oh my god that was hilarious awesome <laughs> especially yeah. the boob part you know like that's classic Holy! i appreciate that though i appreciate that, that it's, the little, it's the little thing i was I, laughing my ass off i appreciate that though because that's the one visual effects that i you know i felt guilty about as we're doing that a visual effect and we had this debate but I said one person out there is going to like this visual effect (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to ask you because you talked about the editing process and I was just wondering how that goes as a writer director and then you go into the editing stage if you could talk a little bit about like editing for comedy and horror together like how do you put yourself into that mindset it's a tightrope still trying to figure it out we went into it the vast majority of it came through in the writing First and foremost, because we had to make a couple of rules for ourselves with this script. We wanted it to work in the sense where we didn't start getting too far to the left of if campiness to where you just stop caring about these characters and everything was too absurd to care. We certainly tried not to do that. And I think what we just said was we wanted all the comedy in this film to come from the plot, meaning coming from what they're facing, the supernatural elements of the film and not go on these sort of like side tangent gags just to get a few laughs. So that was first and foremost on the writing side of thing. And on the direct, I mean, on the um, editing side of thing, it was really interesting. We actually had to lose a few jokes along the way because we found that while they were funny they just diminished the characters they diminished the moment they diminished the relationship they, they didn't make the believability that someone may have just died or you're you're fearing for the death of someone else uh-huh. and while it is a comedy these characters themselves genuinely care about each other in this movie we wanted to keep the semblance of that reality going throughout the film so definitely had to pull back on a few elements to sort of keep that thread using the windows as uh, portals was a totally original idea <laughs> yeah. that I haven't seen before the world building of what ghosts can and can't do also and how they interact you, you went and created an entirely original mythology as well, which is a part of the magic of why this film works so well and makes it so unique. But what is the importance of world building in films you've seen? Was all that going through your mind in creating this? Absolutely. I did a lot of research on my end. I, I've always been sort of a paranormal junkie my entire life and just had, always kept this notebook. Anything that intrigued me because I always knew I wanted to make a haunted house film of some kind. And I, and I also know, you know, first and foremost, regarding the windows, you always have this, I do, I, and it's unfair because it's, it's the genre itself, but I always have this moment in films. Why are you still here? Why are you not leaving the house? 
<laughs> leave. Right. And I know we have to throw that away so we can enjoy a lot of movies, but I, I, in, in, at least in this one that I was making, I was like, okay, I have to dispel that. They do not get that right. They do not get to leave this house. And so that's where that idea came from, was to make sure they are definitively trapped in this house and you are going to get over both your interpersonal relationship problems and the fact that you're lousy <laughs> ghost hunters and need to learn how to do some proper ghost hunting before you leave. And uh, that was certainly where that came from. But just, just doing some research and, and actually almost everything was based off of some sort of mythological story or some sort of folk tale or some sort of legend and just sort of piece those together to something that I thought fit for this movie. Were there any challenges that you encountered while filming that you didn't expect to have? Yes. I think the most interesting thing was I, I always consider myself able to speak enough Spanish. I think I mentioned that earlier to get by. What you realize is, is you know how to ask for food or where's the yeah. store? Where's the bathroom? Can I have a glass of water? When you're talking about camera angles and different pieces <laughs> of equipment, that all goes out the window. <laughs> and you know, and you're, and you're walking on this movie, it's a very complicated shot and you're just uttering these monosyllabic wrong tenses to your sentence questions. Everybody just sort of looks at you aside. So that was a little bit difficult. Yeah. Fortunately, I had a fantastic translator slash assistant who is just amazing at uh, uh, sort of alleviating that problem. Although a few times I remember going up to someone and just sort of saying like a quick like, yeah, just tell them blah, 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 like three or four words. She just had like a five minute conversation with them <laughs> and they're so, nodding the whole time, but the shots turned out great. So I'm like, <laughs> thanks. It's like a scene from Lost in Translation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Keep, keep doing what she says. <laughs> There's so much franchise potential in this. Yes. Where do we take these characters? I am, um, you know, that the final shot of the movie, I will say, I, I have no problem admitting this to everyone in this room right now, is me screaming the word sequel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, out, out to the audiences. It's in the audience's hands. I love this world. I am a 100% dead set on continuing the detective saga. So we hopefully, we'll see. Do you have script ideas or in things where you could take them already? 100%. In fact, when I first started this idea, and not to get you know too detailed, but I was writing a different story for them. That was based on this fantastic sort of haunted town that I'm just fascinated with. And they were already sort of the team going through this. And, um, you know, one of them was a ghost and a few things like that. And I thought, I had this moment about half, you know, right when I finished the outline, I go, well, how did that happen? I know how it happened backstory wise and this and this and this. And I thought, I'm interested in this origin story of how they got here. So just sort of put that aside. And then after basically developing an entire other story, wrote the script that we have now. Like an actual haunted town, like a real life haunted town. Yes. Oh, yes. Wow. Very interested in. So, yes, that is cool. Yeah. I don't want to get into it just because I don't want anyone stealing your awesome yeah, idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, just, no, okay. I'll, give, I'll give you one tagline. Though. It is a town in the world in which there are 2000 living residents and 2 million dead residents. Coma? Is it Coma, California? You know it. That yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> Lauren, no. Wow. I knew you guys would know. That's awesome. That's amazing. I was going to say, you know what? I, I need to pitch an actor for the sequel. There you go. <laughs> Ken Watanabe. Oh, he's amazing. I mean, think about it. He's, he's done all these classic movies. Oh, he's fantastic. You, know, you got to get him. You gotta, Are you his you agent, can, Leo? I mean, can you help? Right. He'd be great. He'd be great. I love him. Leo's got a side gig. Biochemist slash Ken Watabe. <laughs> I'm so excited that you love Shaun of the Dead as much as I love Shaun of the Dead. Now, do you think that Sean is a standalone movie or do you think that there should be a second Sean? There should be 10 Sean. <laughs> no, right? And it will never diminish the first. I don't care how bad they get either. And besides, you know, and this is true. I want to see what you think about this. Everybody loves Sean of the Dead as this sort of horror comedy. 
it's a tragedy in my eyes. And yeah. the reason being, what's the last thing we see? We see these two in a room playing video games and Nick Frost is still trying to chomp on Sean's arms. He's two inches away. There's no way he's making it past the week without getting bitten and starting yeah. that entire <laughs> thing all over. <laughs> it was dead set for a sequel. I'm just waiting for it. I know. I don't. I heard he's not going to make one. Which He's, makes me so sad. Like we will convince him. Right. <laughs> we will do it. Come on, let's do it. Let's go to England. Do you like some of the other films in that trilogy? Oh, the Carnetto trilogy. All three. The, yeah. fir- the first one I saw was Hot Fuzz. Oh, oh really? Yeah. yeah I just That's missed great. Shaun of the Dead, and that I no excuse. You know, I'm, a, I'm a horrible human being for missing that when it no, came out. I, okay. I heard everything that was amazing about it and didn't see it, but saw Hot Fuzz very first day and went, "This is amazing." Everybody's like, "It's cool," you know. But Shaun of the Dead, and I'm like, "No, no, no. Hot Fuzz is." amazing and then i finally watched shauna the den i was like oh wow what is your favorite sean scene that's a you know it's the one that i think made me so appreciate the film it's the scene when he has that i know it's gonna be like the weirdest answer it's a scene when he has the really tender moment with bill nye yeah (laughs) because and i know everything else is fantastic and i can tell you about 20 different scenes but that one just grounded that film in a way and that's kind of what i love about that film and 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 all the horror comedies that i that i really have an affinity towards is the ones that just have that emotional heart that grounds it that keeps us caring about those characters because in my my opinion that makes the comedy funnier and the scares funnier in those kind of films when you care about the characters like that so that's the one that cemented that is like okay these are real people i love these characters i care about these characters you know and that's fascinating in the genre that's a good scene i love it too what are some of your recent favorite horror films that you've seen that have come out in the past like five years or so there's a lot the past five years the first one that popped in my head i really loved because it just caught me i had no expectations going in and watch housebound oh, I don't yeah. know if you guys are familiar housebound. with this i haven't seen yeah. it you guys have seen it yeah, yeah. australian it's an Australian yeah. film, yeah. you know, and it's I was unusual. super fun. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I was, and I was in the mode of obviously Detectives, which is a contained film mm-hmm. in one house. And it's very much what this film is. And it just has, I think, one of the most unique approaches to the genre, mm-hmm. uh, to that concept of being sort of in a haunted house and, you know, an isolated location like that. It's a fantastic film. Yeah, totally. It's the, the cover art's fun, too. Like, that's Absolutely. What, that's what like drew me into it as well. When you're like, we got to watch this just yeah. because it's like, what is this? But yeah, I, I agree. I, what you said was. Yes. Check it out, everybody. You <laughs> <laughs> gotta find that. Any others? Say- oh, certainly. I mean, just, just this year alone, Midsummer. Yes. I, you know, I'm getting, you see, I started out as a wimp, but uh, (laughs) I'm trying and and, and I like 80% of me really liked that movie. 20% of me was still crying and and just hoping somebody would take me out, but no one will anymore. So, so that, that's fantastic. I I love everything Jordan Peele is doing right now. I I think he's fantastic and I I really liked us. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but yeah, really liked us this year. But yeah, those are the two this year that, that I just really genuinely appreciated. Like they're very memorable. The ones that stayed with me like two or three weeks later. Right. Yeah. 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 And hereditary is as well too. That, that Absolutely. one. Yeah. Any new ones that you're looking forward to that are coming out that you know are on the way? I don't mind being a big fan of like the big blockbuster yeah. horror yeah. films that they come out. I love the, the it. Yeah. Yes. That just came out. So I am so amped for the, the sequel. Too. I'm so amped for the follow up. I love that they split it, you know, because we had the miniseries when we were younger where they did it more right. like the books with the, you know, the, the, the parallel, the stories happening at the same time. And I love that they've done this. I'm really curious what they do with it. I was thinking one last thought yeah. uh, on this movie. 
detectives. It can also play out like a really good 10-part series. You know, it's funny because <laughs> as we're developing the, what we want to do for the sequel, that's actually what we're, we've developed. A sort of a 10-part sort of to take this into a TV series. So it's a, definitely something that's on our mind. We can oh, do this okay. as a feature, but we also have an ability that, that we're really interested in to do it that way as well. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Los Spookies? Oh, I yes. have not seen yes. it. Yes. Yes. So good. Yeah. It's so good. There's some, it's, it's definitely its own vibe, but there's some similar elements in that it's, you know, there's a group in this horror elements and I wouldn't say it sort of shares a universe with detectives, but I could see sort of some similar uh, zany things happening. Oh, certainly. As a, as a series. Uh, yeah. I think this is a great idea. That's good. And with Fred Armisen, I'm in. <laughs> I just haven't got, I have to get to that. It's funny. There's so much content. So much amazing horror action. <laughs> Tony, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And everyone, Stream Dead Detectives is destined to be a classic. Thank you so much. Man. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you. It's a blast. That was awesome. That was the Boo Crew episode 57. Special thanks to our guest, writer-director, Tony West. Be sure to check out Dead Detectives if you are listening to this at the time of release. Available to stream now exclusively on Shutter. This is the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Bye.